Angela. Hi. I'm Randy. And I'm Claire. And you're listening to Killer Vibes, a true crime podcast. So we finished up the Golden State Killer case. It was a long one. It was a good one. Juicy. Full of stuff. (laughs) For our little mini surprise season over spring break. And now we're going to do my case. uh, The case of serial killer Theodore Robert Bundy. (laughs) (laughs) So. Also known as Ted Bundy. It's just Ted. It's just Ted Bundy. <laughs> Don't um, get it's not someone you've yeah, never heard of before. No, we promise it's, just Ted Bundy. it's the same person. <laughs> um, so yeah. And as I have promised before in one of our previous episodes from the last season, I pulled this case together. Um, this will be a really long one, but I'm excited to share all of the information that I researched and gathered for you guys. Um, I'll kind of be doing this like the Ed Kemper case, so I'll just be focusing on Ted Bundy and his life. Um, But for this case, we actually have a very long list of victims. So I'm going to be going in chronological order. And I have given sort of like a small (laughs) section of (laughs) Randy's sick. Sorry. (laughs) Um, I'm still sick. It like won't go away. It's okay. I'm sorry that you're sick. I wish I could magically heal you. (laughs) It's Um, just my voice doesn't sound like it. Okay, go on. (laughs) But anyway, so um, I have decided to dedicate um, just like sort of little paragraphs to each named known Bundy victim, um, because I know that like that's really important. And all of his victims, like some of them I've never even heard of before. And I've seen so many documentaries. And I read all of The Stranger Beside Me by Anne Rule, which is sort of like the Ted Bundy go to book. And um, some of the people that I actually found weren't even mentioned in the book. So I wanted to talk about all of the ones that he is confirmed having murdered during his time as an active serial killer. Um, So we're just going to go through all of those and it'll be a fun time. I hope that you like learn some new stuff. Um, Y'all, she has (laughs) like 46 pages of research. Claire. This is some dedication, so well, I love listen this with appreciation. <laughs> yeah, well, I've just like I, as I have mentioned before, I'm a history major. I love research, so this was like this is like bread and butter for me. I love it. I'm so excited. <laughs> um, and this case also was interesting for me because I grew up here in Colorado for my entire life. I was born here in Denver. Um, I went to school here for all of my schooling years. And I have lived in the shadow of a lot of the places that Bundy was active in in Colorado, and my family lived here when Bundy escaped in Aspen and in Glenwood Springs. Um, So it's kind of interesting. And I actually have an interview that I did with my grandpa who talked a little bit about what it was like here in Colorado after he had escaped. So um, I'll put that in there for you guys. Um, And I also selected this case just as the perfect time because the new Zac Efron (laughs) movie. Yeah, I know, right? Um, The new Zac Efron movie called Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil, and Vile, directed by Joe Berlinger, um, was the trailer for it was released. And Netflix has purchased it and gave it an R rating. So hopefully it'll show up soon. I'm very excited to watch it. Um, It looks really good. And the director, Joe Berlinger, also directed the Netflix special called um, Conversations with a Killer, the Ted Bundy Tapes. Um, It wasn't like my favorite thing to watch. Uh, It does give a lot of information that is viable to what happened um, during his life. And uh, a lot of the women that are sort of like the women that you always see when Ted Bundy gets brought up or talked about there. Um, But there are quite a few women that are not mentioned in that. And there's quite a lot of information that you don't get about 
Bundy from that um, show. So I would watch it with sort of like a grain of salt. They also kind of depict him in this very intellectual, very smart light. Like he was this brilliant person when in reality he like barely got into law school. He had an IQ of 126, which is like the average for a graduating college student. And that was tested in Utah when he was arrested there. So he just is like not this most brilliant person. And I read an article that was written by a woman named Katie Dowd and she agrees with me. Um, She (laughs) says that he's kind of always lopped into the group with like Jack the Ripper, um, H.H. Holmes, sort of these like gentlemen killers and she rips this to shreds saying and she also talks a little bit about the documentary in this quote so she says Bundy was not special he was not a genius he was a pathetic misogynist so wounded by rejection he killed young women to feel powerful and allowing his jailhouse interviews to narrate the show the documentary allows Bundy all over (laughs) again to wrap his meaningless life in self aggravizing fictions so I thought that was good that was a good quote. True. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so the show kind of does showcase Bundy's preferred version of events. And like, I think part of that is just the fact that that's what the Bundy tapes are. Yes, it is exactly. a journalist kind of like building him up so that mm-hmm. he'll t- talk about himself. Right. And so you kind of have to also remember that that's mm-hmm. the perspective of the Bundy tapes in general. So Exactly. And so they're focusing on those tapes. So obviously he would be a little bit narcissistic in them. Um, they also include some of the interviews he did with FBI profiler Bill Hagmeyer. So there's a lot of good stuff in there. But the really juicy parts of the Ted Bundy tapes are when he talks about the murders during the last 48 hours of his life before and that's his execution. not in there, right? And that's not included in there. Um, some of them are really gruesome. For for all of you, I listen to them. <laughs> um, they're pretty horrible, and we'll talk about them too uh, because it's important to talk about them. And uh, like his confession tapes are like a huge deal because his perception. It's pretty cool. Yeah, and his perception in society completely shifted because everybody, a lot of people thought he was innocent, and then he confessed to these murders. And he knew where their bodies were. So that just confirmed that he was guilty. And just the tapes make him look like not favorable. Like, you no. know, he, he looks like a jerk. Yeah, you don't really he like him like after a, that. A psychopathic serial. Not killer. that you liked him before, but I mean, no. some a lot of people were like, Ted would never do this. Mm-hmm. And then you see him in the tapes and you're like, mm. Like, you're oh, weird. I don't like you. Totally did this. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited though, because I know yes. you just you really put a lot of work into it. So I'm excited Thanks. to yeah, um, hear I'm, the product. I'm very pumped. I do have like a lot of little post-it note tabs in my um copy I appreciate of all the of your research. beside me. <laughs> yeah. So um if anybody really wants to do in-depth research, I would highly recommend Anne Rule's book. Um, and I hope that I can tell you a little bit of new information about the case that you may not have known yet. Um, and I hope this will be a good like precursor to all of you who are going to go out and see Zac Efron's movie. I'm literally so excited for it. <laughs> Me too. Oh um, I just think he was like <clears throat> perfectly casted. Lily James look, um, looks amazing as Elizabeth Klepfer. I'm so pumped to see this movie. Um, so yeah. So with that, here's the story of American serial killer Ted Bundy. Theodore Robert Cowell was born on November 24th, 1946 to Eleanor Louise Cowell in Burlingham, Burlington, sorry, Vermont. Ted was sort of like her secret shame, and um, he was born in the Elizabeth Lund home of unwed mothers when Eleanor was 22, and she almost left him at this home, but her 
grand, her parents would demand that she would bring him back to the house. So Bundy's grandparents sort of acted as his real parents um, for quite a few years, which is why he was born with the last name Cowell instead of Bundy. Um, but when Ted was four, Eleanor moved, taking Ted with her to Tacoma, Washington in 1950. She did this because, like, everyone knew that Ted Bundy was illegitimate and, or well, Ted at this point, Ted Cowell, was illegitimate, and she really didn't want him to find out about it, so she just decided to literally move across the country. Um, and when she moved, she changed both of their last names to Nelson, so removing her fam- family name. So he was Ted Nelson for a little bit. Did they just choose this name? Yeah, so she just chose it. Okay, when you were saying that she chose, or like changed it, and I was like, and she chose Bundy? That's weird. No. <laughs> That's like a random name to change. Okay, Nelson. Right. Yeah, that so makes they sense. changed it to Nelson, and then Eleanor joined the Methodist Church in Tacoma and met Johnny Culpepper Bundy. Um, he was an army cook and apparently really short, like 5'2". <laughs> Culpepper. Yeah, that's his Say name. Say it again. Johnny Culpepper Bundy. That's kind of a cool name. I know. It is a cool name. He was really short, army cook, not making a lot of money, but they did get married on May 19th, 1951, so a year after they moved, and Johnny adopted Ted, giving him the last name of Bundy. So we have the creation of Ted Bundy. Um, Eleanor would start to go by her middle name, Louise, and she and her husband would have four other children. Um, the youngest was born when Bundy was 15. I don't know much about the siblings because they aren't really mentioned in any of the research that I did. Like, I didn't even see their names pop up during, like, the trials or anything. I don't even know if they were there. Um, but I, I think they had a good relationship. Like, there wasn't any sort of volatile anything happening. So, Bundy had... Oh, and I'm going to call Ted Bundy the whole time because... It's fun to say. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I don't like him, so I'm going to just call him by his last name. So Bundy and his adoptive father had a decent relationship. He never abused him or anything. And, I mean, he, like, adopted him into his family. There just wasn't anything weird with that. Because um, I know that, like, sometimes serial killers have bad relationships with their parents. That wasn't the case here. And Ted still thought, or Bundy still thought, that um, his mom was his sister. So, anyway. Um, they did have a very low income household and with five kids, I'm sure that was like a lot to deal with. Um, and this could also factor into the fact that Bundy wanted to be accepted into a higher class of living in his adult years because he really didn't have much growing up. Bundy was not a social kid. He was shy, really quiet. He had a speech impediment and also wasn't super athletic, but he was in the Boy Scouts and that would be like a big deal during his trial. People would be like, he's a Boy Scout. Like, so? (laughs) Like, I don't know. Um, But anyway, um, he did, however, have a weird moment with his aunt, Julie, when he was three. And she woke up to find all of the kitchen knives were surrounding her body on her bed. And little Ted was standing there staring at her. No. No. Oh, my God. So this testimony came out, um, like, right before he was executed. As bad as I've never heard of that. Yeah. So it's, like, in the updated version of the book with, like, the 20-year epilogue in the back. Um, So, yes. So apparently that did happen. Wait. Can you explain the mom-sister thing again? Yes. So when Bundy was born, he was adopted by his grandparents. Therefore, he always thought that... Eleanor was his sister because he had been adopted by his grandparents. So he was like a part of that sibling thing. 
Um, and she would uphold that. She would never deny that. And she, he would actually call her Louise. Um, and, you know. When did he find out? He didn't find out until he was 16. Okay. Um, that, so that could have been issue. pretty shocking. And that yes. could be one of his childhood, you know, issues. Traumas. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll we'll talk about that, too, because it actually does play a factor into it. He would, however, deny that it played a factor, but it totally did. Um, <laughs> okay. So he did, however, when he was younger, have a temper and, like, would get mad at other kids. He would set traps in the woods for things like animals and stuff. He didn't ever catch anything, but there was one girl who like injured her leg on one of the traps and he didn't even like apologize or anything. Um, But he didn't have any of the other McDonald triad um, traits. So he never set fires to anything. He never actually did torture any animals um, and he never wet the bed. So that's not fulfilled, which just goes to further show that that is a flawed study um, because obviously we have people not fulfilling those things um, and still being killers. So, you know. So with the knife thing, what did he say about that? He didn't say anything. So that came out after he was dead. Oh, so okay. He, yeah. I thought you meant the testimony at trial. Okay, never mm-hmm. mind. No, no, no. So she would say she would talk about it. His aunt after like a few years after he had passed away or had been killed. Okay. Does I always feel weird saying like passed away when someone is murdered? He was executed <laughs> you know I mean? when he was executed yeah. by the state. Um. Anyway. So in 1965, we actually have the first set of crimes that Bundy commits. So um, he was a soon to be a high school graduate. And on two separate occasions, he had been picked up by the juvenile authorities in Pierce County in Tacoma, Washington, on suspicion of auto theft and burglary. According to Ann Rule's book, um, there isn't a shred of evidence to suggest that Bundy was like, like booked or served time in juvenile whatever for that. So, I mean, like he was a charming, charismatic person throughout his entire life, really, despite the fact of being slightly socially isolated. So he probably just like talked his way out of it or people just I mean, like literally it's like this weird I want to even call it like the Boy Scout trope because Mm -hmm. he was an quintessential American male. So we talk about quintessential American female. Bundy was a quintessential American male, and he would reflect that in later years until he started killing people, and then he kind of breaks away from that pattern. Okay, so after graduating from high school in 1965, Bundy enrolled in the University of Puget Sound in Tacoma, Washington. A year later, he transferred to the University of Washington and for some reason declared the Chinese language as his major. Um, (laughs) I don't know why. He quickly lost interest in that obviously, and started taking sociology classes in 1968, but would eventually drop out of the university entirely. So back up to the year previous in 1967, Bundy was at the University of Washington and he met up with a woman named Diane Marjorie Jean, who goes solely by Marjorie or Diane. I'll call her Diane throughout this. Um, but if you are reading Anne Rule's book, she calls her Stephanie Brooks. And that's all. that was to protect her privacy, but she has since revealed her true name and everyone knows it. So Diane was from California and from a wealthy family and had high expectations for her life. Um, She met Bundy at the university and they dated for over a year. And uh, Rule says it was a year that may have been the most important in Bundy's life. So that's essential. Um, Diane seemed to like Bundy. Bundy quite a bit since they dated for so long, despite that there were like clear differences between the two of them in personality and just in like, not like social class, but just expectations for life. 
But she wanted a husband. So, like, she was looking for someone to get married. And she didn't really fit into her lifestyle very much. And she started to see that Bundy kind of, like, used people and would lie quite often. And just wasn't a very good person, obviously. So when Bundy dropped out of school in 1968, Dan started to see that there wasn't really a future for the two of them. And when she received her degree that year, she subsequently broke up with Bundy. And he was like devastated about this. It was a big deal for him. And it really is like considered to be the turning point for Bundy and his opinion of women. Boys and rejection. I know. I'm <laughs> We've like, said it a thousand times. It's like, it's going to be okay. I promise. Um, <laughs> so he was totally in love with her and he may have been even more in love with the idea of marrying her and then becoming like the standard of her life so moving into her social spectrum and becoming someone that he had always wanted to be I mean she was like the perfect woman she was pretty smart wealthy and she literally just dumped him because he wasn't husband material and Bundy felt that very much because he thought of himself as someone who was that um, and he's someone who was worthy of being a part of this, like, elevated social status. And then this woman who is a part of that tells him that he's not indirectly. But yeah. it really does. I mean, that can be hurtful. But Absolutely. It's but just like, you don't need to murder 26 yeah, people about it. It's, like, not really the answer. Question, does she, is she where we get the physical description of his victims from? Yes. Okay. And there is a, a picture of the two of them, but her eyes are, like, covered with, like, a black boxy thing. But she looks like all of his victims. She's um, attractive, Caucasian, um, has brown hair that's parted down the middle, and she's college age. So that's where... So that's where his victim oh, profile comes from. The turning from. point. <laughs> da, na, na, na. Yeah. So there you go. Whoops. I know. So, <laughs> like, this poor woman. Like, I know. She, she did nothing wrong. I but, know. Like... She didn't. And, um, like, you do nothing wrong if you break up with someone you don't like it. But, yeah, so I can only imagine how she would feel after learning <laughs> yeah. all of this. I would be very overwhelmed, honestly, um, especially after what he does to her later. But we'll I'll talk about that. So um, in 1968, so the year after he drops out and the year that he, he breaks up with Diane, he begins his political career by volunteering in the Seattle office of Nelson Rockefeller. And this is kind of an interesting fact. Nelson Rockefeller would actually go on to serve as vice president under President Gerald Ford in 1974 to 1977. So he had already made like a huge political connection. Like he would be involved in the Republican Party for quite a long time. And Rockefeller liked him so much that he appointed Bundy as the Seattle chairman for the new majority for Rockefeller and even sent him down to the Republican National Convention, which was held in Miami in 1968 as a delegate for Rockefeller. They lost the election, but he was like, you can see pictures of that national convention and he's in some of them. Like you can spot his <laughs> head. It's really interesting. So... In early 1969, after he had gone to the convention later in the year, probably in November is usually when those things happen, um, he traveled around a bit, around sort of like the eastern part of the United States. He had family in Arkansas, so he went there. Um, he went to Philadelphia, and he actually did an entire semester at Temple University in Philadelphia. And he did this for the spring semester in 1969. Um, but his real reason, and you kind of um, mentioned about his illegitimacy before, his real reason for going out east was to figure out the true nature of his birth. So two of his cousins in Tacoma had talked to him when he was 16, saying that he was 
illegitimate. Bundy was super curious, as you would be, and I'm not sure if he did this while he was doing his semester at Temple or uh, at Temple University or not, but he would go to Burlingham, where he was born, and find his birth certificate, and it listed that his supposed sister, Louise, was his actual mother, and his father was listed, at, listed as a guy named Lloyd Marshall, who was born in 1916 and was an Air Force veteran. So... That would be confusing, you know? A little bit. Yeah. So Bundy states that this did not affect him as much as some people would like to insinuate. Um, There are studies that say Bundy was adopted and his identity wasn't clear until his adulthood, like I said. So that became like very emotional and and destructive. I'm persuaded to believe that this ideology, but Bundy wouldn't escalate until five years later when he killed his first victim um, in 1974, his first confirmed victim. There are a few that happened before 1974, and we'll talk about them too. But that's like a decent amount of time after learning that you are an illegitimate child and after having broken up with like the perfect woman. And so I don't know, I would be so angry about all of that. And mm-hmm. since I'm like a rational person, I couldn't ever think of like letting my anger out and committing murder. But for like Bundy, it just seems like it would have happened at that time. So I think it did factor into his sort of like disassociative disorder, but I don't think it was like the turning point. I really think that that would come in a few years down the line. We're just seeing the progression of yes. all this. Yeah. <clears throat> so we're stuff seeing that kind of the, sucks. It's sort of like the stepping stones. Um, So Bundy would end up back in Washington in mid-1969, and after a last trip to San Francisco and actually went out to Aspen, Colorado. Okay, I wanted to talk to you about this because there was something that I read that said he went to Aspen to sort of scope out the area because he would actually murder a woman in Aspen in 1975. So... I thought that was interesting. That is interesting. It wouldn't it be so interesting if like he had planned all of this? <laughs> like if he was so crafty. Probably did. Enough. I mean, honestly, like he did. He was a planner. Like he did stuff in order. And um, he might have also gone out to Aspen because Diane loved Aspen. I don't blame her. I've hung out in Aspen quite a few this times. This is like dumb and um, dumber. Yeah. <laughs> have you seen Dumb that and movie? Dumber? No. You've never seen Dumb and Dumber? Oh, God, no. Should oh, I? Oh, my gosh. Yes. Okay, I'll watch it. Okay. I'm not going to ex- explain it to you. Okay, but. cool. Well, anyway, so, like, Aspen is... It is one of my favorite places. I've never in this been there. State. You've never been to Aspen? We're going to Aspen. So, the... But I think Chapman lives there. He does right? live there. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he works at the and newspaper up there. someone else. Casey. Yeah, I don't know who that is, but okay. Um. So... The Maroon Bells are up there. It's the best hike in Colorado. Like, everybody wants to say it's Hanging Lake, but the Maroon Bells hike is, like, prime stuff. (laughs) Um, There's a cute little sandwich shop that is up there that my family and I always go to when we go up to Aspen. So it's just really a beautiful place. And so I wouldn't necessarily think that he was solely going there to, like, scope out potentially where he could abduct a female. But... Also, Diane had, like, said it was one of her favorite places, so maybe he went to go get acquainted with it and kind of, like, be like, oh, I went to Aspen, and I've been to all the places you've been to, et cetera. <laughs> oh, yeah, that sandwich shop. Oh, the sandwich shop. We have so shop. much in common. Oh, yes, that hike. I love that hike. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
<laughs> um, so anyway, Bundy goes back to Washington eventually, and he gets there just in time to re-enroll back into the University of Washington, where he finally declares his psychology major. So with that, we're going to end part one. I'm actually pretty excited that we got that far. <laughs> um, so... Yeah, Claire was like, oh my God, I have 46 pages. <laughs> what are we going to do? I know. But yeah, so I just really love all of this information because it's really like every aspect of his life yeah, could be. I've already learned a lot yeah. so, so much already. So right. I'm excited so, to learn even more. Yeah. Chinese language major, psychology major. It's just a lot. Okay. So um, we're going to start talking a little bit more about uh, one of his relationships in the next part. Um, so okay. thanks for that. mind. <laughs> I was so ready to be in sync with you. I was like, <gasps> and I'm breathing and I'm signaling <laughs> you and we're doing our thing right now. But tell me what's happening. <laughs> that was funny. Um, I was just going to say, you always make fun of me for hitting my microphone, and you've done it like seven I know, times. I've <laughs> noticed that. I kind of like, I noticed it like the first time, and I was like, ooh, I did that. <laughs> anyway. That was okay. funny. You, I did look like I was about to say something, you did, and you were and doing like, the breathe in. <gasps> <laughs> okay, ready? Yeah. 